Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Our regular reminders that you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you do find us, subscribe, leave us ratings, leave us reviews, let us know how you like the show. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. And Pete, we are we're recording here Monday, April third. There has been a whole weekend of like real baseball games that count Ugh. that have already happened. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm just like, I just love this time of year. It's so great. Dude, I, I don't starting. even know where to start. Like, it's just so awesome. There's there's yeah. so many things that I've been wrong on and there's so many things that I've been right on so far. So like, that's cool. But yeah, I don't even know where to start. Your, your socks were at home this weekend. Did you make it to any games at Fenway yet or? Oh God, no! I, I've been up to my eyeballs in work, but um, I have tickets uh, for three games this year that I'm, I'm hoping to get okay. to. So, which would be a lot for me. I'm not. I'm not a frequent. I went to college in the Fenway, so I went to a lot of games there in those four years. But yeah. uh, not a lot since. It's kind of a hassle to get in and out of Boston. Yeah, fair enough. It's interesting. I saw pictures like, on Twitter of, of yeah, yeah. you at a couple of games there. Couple games. Well, this is the thing. I, I was my, my wife was giving me a hard time because I was complaining that like. I, the, the nice thing is the Guardians opened in Seattle this year. So I was able to go to two of the four. And it was a four-game series. Perfect. So I went to two of the four games. It was great. But then I was like, they're not going to be back here for like, it could be like 18 months before they're back, right? Like it could be like next, like August or September or something. And right. So it could be a long wait. But uh, yeah, one opening night, I, I took my son and a, a friend of his and a, his friend's dad, who's a friend of mine. Uh, four of us went to the game and it was it was great. And it, I, you know, I've been saying to people, it's not that we are here to talk about the new rules or the pitch clock or anything like that, but my son is nine, his friends, same age. We've, I've been going to games with these two kids for years now. This was the first time they were just glued to it. So just like, and my son is always like super into it. His friend though, sometimes gets a little like antsy and then he wants to walk around there. My son's like, Oh, we should go walk around then. We should go do something else. Let's go get more snacks. Blah, blah, blah. Like, we got we got back at the end of the game and my son was like, I think I forgot to ask for a treat. Like he usually gets like some sort of like <laughs> ice cream or candy or something at the game. And sure. he's like, I think I forgot to ask. And I was like, you didn't. You you know, my friend, my, my my friend went and got us beers and came back with some candy for the kids. But like they didn't even notice that they got this like candy and popcorn because like <laughs> it was a pitch and a pitch and a pitch. And they were just into it and super invested in it in a way that is just another level than what we what I've seen from them before. And it, it was awesome. It was just a lot of fun weeknight game it was over by like 9 30 and oh, so beautiful and yeah on top of everything else i got these two fourth graders and instead of being like sorry guys we're leaving after the seventh inning stretch because we got to get home and get you ready for school tomorrow i was like yeah no we could we could wait this one out we could we could stick <laughs> around for this whole this whole thing and so they were they were there to see my heartbreak when when ty france hit a three-run home run after Oof. 
Speaking of the new rules, after James Karinchak just melted down, apparently, oh, yeah. over the pitch clock, um, <laughs> which was, man, was that a, a scene. Which is I, I, it's sort of funny because, like, I've been saying I was worried about him with the pitch clock. Because he's just, he's oh he's a slow worker he spends he like works the rosin bag between pitches and I didn't even as someone who was like oh yeah this he's gonna have some problems I didn't expect that I didn't expect that in the opening night he would just like he got called for a violation that for a moment I honestly thought he took intentionally he was ahead like oh two and then like he sort of got set and made no effort to make the pitch on time and I was like I wonder if he's just yeah. Taking the ball. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I've got a throwaway pitch. I'm just going to use it by, you know, getting myself set. But then the crowd was just on him, just sure. absolutely laying into him. And they started counting down the pitch clock, which then they did all weekend. Like yeah. anytime or like late game situations, they were counting down the pitch clock. As soon as it got to like 10 <laughs> seconds, it was, uh, it was quite a scene there, but yeah, it took my, it took my son Thursday, took my daughter yesterday to the afternoon game. And, it was fun. It's a good, nice, good weekend. Nice little weekend. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's funny you bring up the pitch clock because I, I was expecting Kenley Jansen to maybe be a disaster, you know, veteran pitcher well into his career. And as everybody knows by now, he was statistically the slowest pitcher last year and his, uh, he looked pretty good. Like he, he was having no problem getting the ball to the plate. I mean, it's early in the season. We'll see, but I, I don't think this is going to be as simple as this guy took forever last year. Now he's going to struggle. It's definitely going to be a case-by-case basis. And it was unfortunate to see Karinczak do that because he was a target of mine in those saves plus holds leagues. I don't draft a lot of closers in those. And so guys like Karinczak, who I thought are just nasty, you know, definite eighth inning guys who would rack up the holds, definitely a concerning concerning start there. Yeah, I think the other the other concern I would have in those sort of saves plus holds leagues is – uh, Trevor Steffen, who the Guardians extended right before the season started, I think has firmly established that he's the number two in that pen. Interesting. When they needed it, uh, when Class A went twice in a row, he pitched on both Friday and Saturday. And so yesterday they went to Steffen for the save. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Angel de los Santos pitched really well a couple times this weekend. And I'm not sure that it's going to end up being super clear that Karen Check is third in that pecking order. I think he oh, is. Jesus. But I'm not sure he's going to always be, especially if he continues to struggle, like getting used to the new rules. So we'll see. We'll see. And once you get to third, like that's that can change in one game, you know, So like his his role is in flux. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's I would say so. I would say so. So with that, we are not. Well, it's sort of sort of on target, right? We are our our concept here today. What we want to do today is. You know, are we agreeing or disagreeing with some sort of early overreactions? And maybe the maybe the first one we sort of unofficially just did there is James Karinchek is a cut. Should you be should you be moving on? And I, I think at, at some level the answer is maybe. Like in, in you know, saves plus hold leagues, especially ones where you're not talking about super deep rosters, like, yeah, you could move on from him because there's gonna be other guys getting holds. There's always other guys out there and his role, I think, is in flux. His ability to adjust to the new rules, I think, is in flux. He's also a sticky stuff guy, and the, the league's cracking down on that. Like, there's a lot of stuff piling up. It isn't just the one sort of iffy outing. So, yeah. But let's get on to some more interesting names because, you know, especially for a keeper league discussion, 
middle relievers are not the most exciting topic, but there are some guys who've had some interesting things happen. Good, bad, middle of the road early on. And, and I think it's worth discussing, you know, how should we be responding? Should we be responding to this at all? Let's start off with a guy who, for, for those who are in the auto new Slack community, I, I was taking some heat because I, and I wrote this up on fan graphs as well, that I, back in January, I cut a like 20, I don't know, $22 Jesse Winker, something like that, 25, I don't know, somewhere in that range and bought him back at auction in that league for 33, I think. I can't remember the numbers now, but it was, wow. it was a big overpay. And it was a known over, like I, I, it was a, it, it was a confluence of events where like, I felt a little bit better about him by then than I did when I cut him. Plus I really, like at that point in the draft, I needed an outfielder. I had money to spend. I just did it. Sure. Now, Winker coming into today, let's see, maybe I can actually get his updated numbers because he, uh, I wrote down, I took a bunch of notes earlier today and then the Brewers went out and put up a 10 spot on the Mets. So uh, here we go. Jesse Winker through four games now, 15 plate appearances. He has, let's see, just three strikeouts. He has three walks. So 20% strikeout rate, 20% walk rate. That, that'll play. He's got four hits. Now he, those four hits, all singles. So, you know, you could, you could debate how, how impressive four singles are today's game for what it's worth. He was one for three with a couple of walks. He scored a run. He drove in a run in that, that big 10 run game for the Brewers. And I'm, you know, I've been sort of buying back in on Winker, not just that one league where I went overboard. I've got him in a couple others. I've been sort of ready for him to come back and, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good about this. I sort of feel like, you know, I think Winker's sort of back. I mean, his, his average exit velocity, even going into today, his average exit velocity was up. And then in today's game, he had a 101 mile per hour fly out. Uh, and that was a legitimate flat. It was a 43 degree launch angle. So that wasn't a like, oh, he got robbed. Like the X bat, the, the X batting average on that was 100. He also had a 97.9 mile per hour ground out. So two more hard hit balls for him today. He is, he's hitting the ball hard. We talked about the walks are up. He got a couple more today. Talked about the strikeouts aren't so bad. You know, the, the bad here, he is yet to have an extra base hit. He's come close. Like the, the hard hit ball of the day, you know, it's one of those, like the launch angle a little bit better on that. And that's, you know, a 400 foot bomb instead of a 350 foot fly out. He also had a ball that looked like it was going to be a double down the line at, at Wrigley, right? They opened at Chicago. Um, and Mancini made a, a really nice play to snare it, uh, diving to his right. So, you know, that happens. That said, here's my, my concerns beyond just the lack of extra base hits. Cause I think the lack of extra base hits is just early season noise. I think they're coming based on how hard he's hitting the ball, but his swing approach is weird. And, and uh, this is, this data is outdated at this point. I don't know what he did today, but his career chase rate, O swing, is 24%. Going into today's game, he was at 31%. His career Z swing, swinging in the zone, 68.9%. Coming into today's game, 85.7%. So Winker, who like 
you know, he was like baby Votto when he was with the Reds, right? That was his whole thing was he was super patient. He takes walks. He's, you know, and he is walking. He's walking plenty and he's not striking out a ton. Um, interestingly, going into today's game, his strikeout rate was 30%, which looks really bad coming out of today's game. It's 20%. So, hey, nothing to worry about there anymore. Just from one game. That's that's the point in the season we're in. But that's a pretty big jump in both swinging inside and outside the zone for a guy who patience is his hallmark, right? That's his calling card. That's that's who he is. And in addition to that, again, going into the game today, he had an 18.6% swinging strike rate versus a 7.7% for his career. So I, I, my, my immediate reaction, right? The overall numbers here are great. The on-base percentage is up. He's hitting the ball hard, so the extra bases and the slugging are coming. I was buying in the offseason. I'm still in. I like this all. Everything's really good. But that is weird swing plate discipline data for him, right? Am I, am I wrong to sort of be like, I don't know. It seems off, and it also is like that's the kind of thing that stabilizes relatively quickly. So it's a little, it's a little off-putting. It is, especially when you consider the pitchers he, he faced – we're not really, you know, big swing and miss pitchers, Marcus Stroman and Jamison Tyon. I'm not going to put too much stock in it, I think, other than the outlier short in 2020 where that K rate was up around 25%. Winker's been a sub 20% strikeout guy, even strikeout rate guy, even in his poor 2022 stint with Seattle there. So uh, that doesn't really worry me. I guess the thing to watch for Winker will be on, I want to say it's Wednesday when the Brewers are scheduled to face another lefty, David Peterson. So they faced Justin Steele the other day. Lefty had a great outing. Winker did not play. So if he doesn't play again now against Peterson, all of a sudden that's not like, you know, we're going to get this guy some rest early in the season. That's now maybe becoming a trend where they see a lefty on the mound and they say we're going to bench Winker. I think that this could be one of those rare situations where if Winker's like your fifth outfielder, because that's where he was being drafted, then like you don't want him facing lefties. And from your fifth outfielder, you'll take the production that Winker will get you just in a strong side platoon. Mm -hmm. But if you're expecting more from Winker and he's not going to play against lefties and he's only going to play, you know, four, three, four times a week, that does become, I guess, a little bit of a concern. But overall, I mean, I'm with you. I I was a guy who was in on Winker before. I don't know if I would have gone as crazy as $30. I think that's a great kind of anecdotal example (laughs) of how crazy inflation can get when there's the player that you want to get. But there's no question to me that the the skills are most likely still there. I don't know what would have happened to them. I know he's a player that dealt with a lot of injuries. When I was listening to Rates and Barrels, um, this was a while ago. I mean, we're talking like over a month ago. Eno Saras talked about how Winker got to Seattle, and it was like a group of young players who came up together, and Winker himself just kind of felt like an outcast and felt like he just like never got comfortable. And I, I'm not you know, saying that's like an indictment on the Mariners players or anything like that. It's just like, all right, who's this old guy, you know, who's supposed to be good and he sucks. And like that, I think Winker kind of took that to heart. So I don't know how much our listeners buy into stuff like that. Those kinds of narratives that you you can't really see in the numbers, but Winker was an awesome, awesome player, kind of tailor-made for Cincinnati, of course, but was still really, really good, especially against right-handed pitching. And it just all disappeared in Seattle. So I think you know, looking at him early and, and trying to take some positives away from it. I'm with it because he's a guy I liked as well. Yeah. And I think the, the lefty platoon stuff, I just, now part of this is I play in, I have four, I have 14 leagues this year. I have to be you know careful saying that. So my wife, kids don't hear me, but I play <laughs> in 14 leagues this year. I think two of them are weekly lineups. 
No, I have three NFBC leagues. So those three are all weekly lineups. And we've got our one listener league that's a weekly lineup. So I, I play in four of my 14 are weekly lineups. And I don't think I have him in those. And so I am, I, I even when I've even when I've been excited about him in a weekly lineup, I do think you have to worry about the fact that like, do you plug him in? You know, he's got a, a week where he's got six games and three of them are against lefties. And like, you know, what you're going to get out of him at that point is three starts and three pinch hit appearances or something like that. It's just that that's a harder sell in those formats. But in my daily leagues, like I don't care what they do with him. I'm not starting him against lefties, right? He's going to my bench anyways. So from that perspective, I'm not super worried about that. Uh, in some ways, I think it might be a good thing because you know, the the mental side of this game, I think, is, I mean, it's effectively what we're talking about with, with Winker last year, right? We were talking about we were, you know, the way he did or didn't fit in in Seattle and how that impacts him. And like, I, I think a lot of times you have these guys who have these platoon splits, feel like they want to face I know I've got the split, but like I can hit lefties. So I want to face lefties and they struggle against lefties. And instead of being like, guess I have a platoon split. I, I think it can get in their heads and it can, it can affect how they're playing. And I think for some of these guys, there's probably a benefit just being like, there's a thing you're great at and it's hitting righties. You go out there and crush righties and let us worry about the lefties. And, you know, I, so to me, I think it's like, Jesse Winker, Josh Naylor, Lamont Wade. Like there's there's a handful of guys that I've drafted in different places that I like that I am high on that I'm just like, just don't let them play against their, you know, the same handed guy. Just put them on the bench, leave them on the bench. You know, you, you got guys like in Cincinnati, Jake Fraley and TJ Fredell are both on a handful of my teams. And I just don't play either of them when the Reds face a lefty. Just don't. Yeah. Fraley usually sits. Friedel is usually in the lineup, but batting ninth against lefties, at least so far. But for me, it's just like, no, I just do what you're good at, not what you're bad at. So I'm not that worried about that. I, I will be watching the the swing data on Winker just because if he has drastically changed his approach, I want to know. It could be a good thing, right? Last year was bad. So maybe he needed to like change some things up and maybe that's okay. But I, I'm... In the short term, what I am hoping to see from him is that he like he's in a new city. He wants to bounce back. He was excited. He went out there. He's taken his cuts to try to prove himself. He's had some success, and now he's going to settle back in and be himself. And if that's what we get, I'm going to be super excited. So that's what I'm looking for. So next guy to talk about, another guy I was pretty high on going into the year. I've got him in a bunch of places. I've talked about him on the show before. And the results are less positive, we'll say. Uh, and so my the, the statement I'm going to make, the overreaction I'm going to make is we've got the bad Blake Snell back. <laughs> and I'm curious to get your take on this. And, and here's what I'm, why I'm saying that. Obviously, he's been up and down sort of throughout his career. We saw it last year. He finished really strong last year. But four and a third innings, six hits, three earned runs. And it was against the Rockies at Petco. Like... Uh, there's part of me, it's like, if you get to face the Rockies at Petco and you don't shut them out, <laughs> there's something wrong. So, yeah, I I don't know. I There's some, it's concerning to me to see that he didn't have a more successful first start. I don't know if you, 
I I could I could talk about what I liked as well. Or do you want to do you want to respond to my concerns? Are you concerned? No, I don't think this is enough to sway me just yet. CJ Crone had a monster game, and 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 CJ Crone's going to hit lefties, even though it was away from Coors, which is maybe actually something to talk about with CJ Crone, who has three home runs outside of Coors. I don't know if he hit three home runs outside of Coors all of last year, but uh, clearly he's facing a really hot player. Charlie Blackman's been on fire in that opening series. I think the Rockies just came out of spring ready to hit, and Blake Snell kind of ran into that. He did have ten swing strikes and ninety three pitches, so that swing strike percentage is good. It's still it's not like elite which we might actually expect from Blake Snell but it was very very good I mean we're talking well above a a, that's got to be what like close to a 12 percent swing strike rate which is not great maybe actually it's closer to league average but whatever the case may be it's not like he he wasn't missing bats he actually I thought he had more than that I thought he had like because his swing strike rate is 20.4 then he must maybe that's I'm using ESPN right now which almost assuredly got it wrong so so I'm going to do, here's what, here's what I'm going to do. My, oh no, my I'm sorry. 20 swinging strikes. Yeah. Okay. That sounds more right. So he got, that makes, strikes. that changes every, yeah. Okay. Can we take a second here? Uh, I actually want to take a second <laughs> for two reasons. Uh, number one, I forgot to uh, give you praise, Chad. And I think our listeners should give you praise for the way you stitched together our last episode. That was awesome. So well done. Ah, well, thank now, you. Now the. The other thing that I want to set the record straight here, I, I for some reason, I cannot quit ESPN for its fantasy service. And if you click on the box score and scroll beneath the the pitching box, the way that it presents called strikes, swinging strikes, foul balls, and in-play strikes is just the last the pitcher's last name and then hyphen, number, hyphen, number, hyphen, number, hyphen. And like, I, I apologize. I misread strikes? that. Is it in-play strike like you threw a pitch and it was hit and it would have been a strike if it hadn't been hit? It must be. <laughs> okay. So whatever the case may be, to set the record straight and to make this go full circle, the fact that Blake Snell had 20 swinging strikes in yeah. 93 pitches, he's fine. He's fine. That's that's Blake yeah. Snell. And I, I will say, I you know, I, I very intentionally in setting up my concerns here, set up the three earned runs on six hits and four and a third. His FIP for that game was negative 0.025. I've never seen that. That's uh, that's pretty good. Um, his that is a negative point two five. His XFIP was point four six. His Sierra was one point five zero. Like, uh, yeah, it's all good. His XERA, in case you're worried that like, oh, it's just because he's giving up a ton of hard contact. XERA one point nine four. Only an eighteen point two percent hard hit rate. Two hard hit balls basically the entire game. Neither of them barrels. Like, there's a lot of really positive indicators underlying what sort of a a lot of runs if you want some concerns and and some real concerns because you know we're smart enough here to know that era is not the primary thing you should be concerned about he wasn't in the zone a whole lot more than normal and his first strike rate was actually down and so he didn't really have walk issues in this one right in this game he might have might have had one walk i think he had one walk right so but that's you know, he's had walk issues in the past, right? Being efficient and getting deep into games has not always been a strength of his. So like, that's a little concerning. You'd like to see him being in the zone a little bit more or getting ahead of guys a little bit more. But like I said, the strikeouts were there. The whiffs were there. He was inducing soft contact. There was very little hard contact. Per baseball savant, his curve and slider both had less movement than last year. And if you go check out Nick Pollock's SP Roundup 
um, which by the way is like one of my favorite daily readings because just quick analysis on every starting pitcher from the day before. He calls out in there that there were quote unquote horrifically bad sliders and curves. He bounced routinely, uh, which is that's not exactly a ringing endorsement of the secondaries for Blake Snell, but I, I, to me, it's like he was actually quite successful in the start. Like he had bad results despite pitching well, despite the fact that his pitches weren't good. Like it's like a weird, it's like, Oh, his pitches, he struggled with his secondaries, but he pitched great, but the results didn't follow. And I I'm focusing on if he can pitch great when his secondaries are doing that, then he can work out those secondaries. They don't, they don't have to, they don't have to be a huge improvement. They just have to get back to sort of where they were last year. I'm sure he'll get there. And if he's already pitching well in the circumstances he's in, things get a little better. The results will follow. So I'm, I, I'm pretty, pretty strongly still in on Blake Snell. I, I do not agree that the bad Blake Snell is here. I think we've got, I think the good Blake agree. Snell is still around. The the bad Blake Snell could appear because he oh, has yeah. appeared a lot over the last couple of years. But um, don't let my misreading of the ESPN persuade you. <laughs> I, I I'm still in on Blake Snell. Still in. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the bad Blake Snell comes and goes as he pleases, and so it could happen at any moment. But I, I don't know. I there's going to be a season where Blake Snell just puts it all together and is a Cy Young winner. Like he's done just, it. He's yeah. It's gonna actually. There's going to be another season. It's gonna happen sure. again. I'm buying in. I, I I'm excited for his year this year. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll we'll revisit a couple names we talked about last week. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Okay, welcome back. 
said we we're going to revisit a couple names from last week. And last week, uh, as Pete alluded to, we had our episode that we sort of stitched together where we talked about players we roster a lot and players we wished we rostered more. Two of the pitchers we talked about had uh, at least somewhat interesting debuts, I think. And one of them, mine, Joe Ryan, was a guy I wish I had more of. Jack Flaherty was a guy that Pete has on a lot of rosters. And let's talk about Flaherty first. And I mean, Pete, you, you know, you talked last week, you, what you really wanted was you were like, Hey, he's healthy. We know he can pitch and he's healthy and he looks healthy. And so that, that was one of the things I was looking for in his start this week was, you know, okay, is he, does he look healthy? Velocity was down. And so that's a little concerning, but he's also sort of ramping up. And so, okay, you know, give him, give him a little pass on that. Uh, the control was, uh, what's, I, I can't even think what of control? like an appropriate way to, to describe this. Um, for, for context, for those who didn't see Flaherty start, he threw five no-hit innings and got a win, which is let's just what you want out of your ace. We're done. Uh, he, yeah, he left after five no-hit innings because he had walked seven. He managed to throw five no-hit innings and have a bad whip is what happened, which is, uh, it's something special. So yeah, he had an 8.4% swinging strike rate. That is like Marco Gonzalez, Martin Perez territory. So Pete, my, my, I, I said, I'd put out a statement that you could agree or disagree with. Here is my statement. Jack Flaherty's healthy and that's not good enough. Agree or disagree. So uh, I don't think he's healthy. The number one reason why I thought he was healthy, he hit 95.9 miles an hour in his spring training start against Washington. And there was like this, this tongue in cheek back and forth, cutesy Ted Lasso esque with the, um, the, the reporters where he was like, yeah, the velocity looks good. I'll feel better when you guys stop asking me about it. You know, like the velo's here, Jack Flaherty's back and everybody feels great. And the fact that it was not even remotely close to that, and the control wasn't there that to me is a pitcher that's hurt what what two what better two signs are there that a pitcher's hurt other than him telling you he's hurt that his velocity's down and he has no control so i feel like there's still something going on with that shoulder now even yes after just one outing look if he if he walks nobody his next outing and the velocity's back up all this goes away maybe it was just a bad day butterflies wasn't ready to go i i have no idea but everything that I liked about the spring, because remember, like I said last week, it didn't have really anything to do with the numbers. I mean, velocity is a number, but it was he sure. he's healthy. He feels healthy. And even though he hasn't, I, I, unless it came out very recently, he hasn't said he's hurt or anything like that. How do you come away from this thinking that he's healthy? I just, I, I don't get it. Like, so, what, what the heck happened between spring training and this outing where he lost a few miles an hour on his fastball and... The, he didn't have great control in the spring, but he didn't have seven walks and five innings or whatever it was. Like, look, it was a great offense that he was facing. Toronto's going to give every team they face a, a hard time. And at the end of the day, he did do okay. Five innings, no hits, and the strikeouts. So I guess I'm telling you, like, yeah, I was feverishly in on him last week um, because I thought he was back. because Not because of the performance, but because I think there's something going on there. I'd say not cut, but bench until further notice, uh, because it's it's just not going to be worth it. If a guy with that bad of control, he he could really throw a clunker out there. And with all the clunkers we've had so far, from I, 
ev- almost every pitcher that's not Jeffrey Springs, um, you know, you, you really probably can't afford it early on here. I'm trying to see when he comes back up because I don't think he pitches again to like, what, maybe Friday? Because they have an off day Thursday. So they have Atlanta this week, then they have an off day Thursday, and then it, yeah, he is on the mound Friday at Milwaukee. So that that's gonna be an interesting one to watch. Like you said, I, I think the velocity and the control, like more than the results, right? Don't get right. too caught up in what his ERA is, anything like that. Like, is the velocity there? Is the control there? If so, great. You know, if not, be be concerned because it was. And I would bench yeah. him for that start. I would quit while I'm ahead. The fact that you have a zero ERA from Jack Flaherty so far, like, <laughs> woohoo, <laughs> bank it. And uh, let's see if if we escaped there or if he's, he's a guy worth deploying going forward. Yeah, it's a, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm having a really hard time with a number of pitchers who I was excited about who had rough starts. Like we talked about uh, in our, our post-350 mock, we talked about... <sighs> Uh, the guy, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Spencer Turnbull. Oh, he got lit up. And he got lit up. And I was like, oh, man, I really thought he was going to be Me too. set. But, man. He, he I, I mean, he has an excuse. I mean, that guy hasn't thrown in a while. So, and, and Wanda yeah. Franco's hot, man. That guy is is on fire right now. And the whole race seemed to be clicking. So, yep. I'm going to give him a mulligan. And if he's got a favorable outing next time out, I'll deploy him. But Flaherty, I, I, that was that was scary. That didn't make me feel good. Yeah. So the guy I talked about that I want to come back to is Joe Ryan. And Joe Ryan, the two things I was looking for from him were he he did some work at driveline on his secondaries. So I thought, all right, get, get those secondaries improved. And I also, I think the twins across the board, but Ryan in particular, are going to get more innings this year. They're gonna they're gonna be allowed to go a little deeper in the game. So, first things first, he went six innings in his first season, you know, his first start of the year. That's a check. Sweet. Great. He's going six. That's what I like to see. I think he'll go seven occasionally, but like, give me those six. Give me that that quality start every time out. The strikeouts and walks didn't improve. Those are the two things. I was like, all right, maybe he can get more strikeouts with better secondaries. Maybe he can get his control improved. They were sort of standard, steady where they were. No real changes there. But it was against the Royals. And you'd like to see improvement in that, some of that stuff against the Royals because they're not a particularly good offense. So I don't know. He walked Salvador Perez, just so you know. That, that takes some work. That's that, a, like, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to double check that right now. But yeah, his, velo- sure his velocity now. was up. His velocity was up. He hit 96. So his velocity overall, like last year, he averaged 92. This year, he was at this start, he was at 92.2. So it's not like it was up a ton. But it's early in the year. He could still be building up. But he hit 96, which I don't think he did once last year. So he's already thrown a harder pitch this year than he's ever thrown in his his short major league career. That's a good sign. The secondaries, though, like there was nothing about them that was different, exciting, interesting. Like, I, you know, he, he used the... I guess it's a sweeper that he developed with driveline and he, he used that sweeper, but like, I don't know. I, the, I didn't see the growth there that I was hoping for. So like if I look at, if I go to baseball savant and I look last year, he did apparently occasionally throw a sweeper last year, like 68 of them total over the course of the season. 
Uh, so we can sort of ignore that. But he threw the sweeper 16 times, 20% of his pitches. And, you know, the results weren't terrible. But like 350 Woba against 50% whiff rate, that's pretty good. 50% strikeout rate, but that's because it was only two plate appearances that ended on a <laughs> on a sweeper. So I don't know. He had trouble putting people away with it. Like the put away rate on it was just 12.5%, which is not great for a pitch like that. Like as an example, last year, his rarely used sweeper at a 17.9% put away rate. His slider, which is the pitch it's, it's I think primarily replacing was 21.6% put away rate last year. So like that's not super exciting seeing it be that low again, only 16 pitches. It's just not, it wasn't the improvement I was hoping to see right away. Now, the splitter, which he seems to have introduced to replace his changeup, was pretty effective. Um, that And that I'm, so that's intriguing. It's like, I, I think what I'm getting at with Joe Ryan here for me is there are pieces coming together and I'm not sure they've come together yet. And so I think I said I was going to put out again, a statement to react to. The statement is, let's say, we'll say this. It's the same old Joe Ryan for now, but I'd be buying. Any any thoughts? Is that the, is that, you agree with that? Disagree? Want to argue? Should we have I've a fight? Been, no, I've always, I, so in my home league, my favorite league, like my number one league, I I drafted Joe Ryan this year and I was pretty happy about it. Pitching got pushed way up and, and uh, he somehow fell to me pretty late. And I think what, has me so baffled about him is I'm usually not in on guys who are gimmicky. And I hesitate to use that term because I feel like that's offensive to people. And if you're a Twins fan, you're like, he's not gimmicky. He's a good pitcher. And it's not that he's like, you know, out there with like smoke and mirrors, but he's very deceptive. He hides his, he hides his pitches well. He hides his grips well. He hides his fastball well. Um, he has a weird arm angle, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't I kind of in a way compares to Nestor Cortez for me. And because he's so deceptive, not necessarily with his with his timing, but with his actual delivery, like maybe it can just work. It's worked for him to this point. MLB hitters still haven't really figured it out. And so I, I think he's a guy who maybe won't post the most flashy strikeout numbers. I think he will kind of be a strikeout per inning guy, which is good. That's that's perfectly fine. But I do think that fastball might just be deceptive enough. That arm angle, that three-quarters arm angle that he has, it's so weird, might just work where he can get away with throwing a fastball so much, and he still just ends up being a pretty valuable pitcher with pretty low ratios. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that's when I when I started my statement with like, you know, it's the same old Joe Ryan. I think that is what he looks like today. I've just been high on him for so long. And I think there's more in that arm. And so I'm really intrigued by the increased velocity and the fact that this, you know, he introduced basically two new pitches in this start. And one of them, the splitter worked pretty well. The sweeper was sort of meh, but like, I know you introduced two new pitches and one of them works well. And the other one still needs a little bit of tweaking. And you're like, okay, I can start to see the path forward here is like, he refines that sweeper. It gets a little bit stronger. I, you know, I think what I would say is this, if, if I'm especially in a keeper league, if I can buy Joe Ryan right now at cost, right. At, at a, a fair, like, Hey, we saw what he did last year. We saw what he did in his first start. He's going to keep doing what he did last year. 
but with more innings. I will pay that, whatever it takes to acquire that pitcher. I think I would buy because I think you're going to get that with the opportunity for more. And that to me is like, that's the kind of trade I want to make, right? Is go get a guy that's like, all right, you know, if, if, if nothing improves, if nothing changes, he'll be just fine. And if things do improve and things do change, then like there's another gear here. I, I, I felt that way about him before the season. I still feel that way about him now. And I, I think what I saw from him in his first start were, was just that, like, this is what he's going to look like if the new secondaries aren't any better than the old ones. But if the velocity is actually up a little bit and those secondaries are sort of working their way into shape, like that's pretty interesting. So for sure. So let's talk quickly about a pitcher who had a very not good start to the season on a couple of fronts. Um, and that's Robbie Ray. And first he, uh, he took the mound. What did he pitch? Friday. I think he pitched Friday against Cleveland. He lasted three and a third innings. He th- gave up. Let's see. I pulled that here. He gave up three earned runs, five runs, three of them earned. He walked five and allowed four hits on the plus side. He didn't give up any home runs. So that's good. He w- struck out three and three and a third. That's not, it's not terrible, although it's not Robbie Ray, right? Robbie Ray should be, you know, Three and a third innings, you want like four or five strikeouts from Robbie Ray, not three. But fine, we'll give him a pass on that. But the walks, certainly concerning. The velocity was down. Now, his velocity was already down a bit last year from where it was in that huge year he had with Toronto, but it's down another half a tick from there. That could just be early season stuff. But immediately after that start, he went on the IL. He's placed on the 15-day IL with a left flexor strain. The team is planning to reevaluate him in a couple of weeks. He's been completely shut down. He's going to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks. There's still a sort of four to six week timeline, but like four to six weeks when he's been completely shut down for two weeks is like, you know, we'll see if they come back in two weeks and tell us it's another two to four, or if they're not ready to get him started yet. He's not ready to ramp up. Like we'll have to see. I'll be honest, in redraft leagues, I'm having a pretty easy time just moving on from Robbie Ray if that's what I have to do. Um, I don't like sitting on injured pitchers for very long, and I I think you could move on from him if you needed to. In a keeper league, it's a a harder trade-off, right? Because especially if I'm at a a good keeper price, now it's like, oh, man, not only do I give him up and risk losing him for this year, but, like, I don't get to keep him next year. But, like, I don't know. But here's my statement. For you to agree or disagree with, I'm going to be a little, little over the top here. Robbie Ray is a cut. He's hurt. He didn't pitch well. I'm just move on. You know, maybe in a keeper league you trade him instead of cutting him. Maybe in a redraft you can trade him instead of cutting him. But like, if you can get him off your roster and get value for him, do it. Is that yeah, an overreaction? I, I think so. I I would push back okay. on that. I don't think I'm going to cut Robbie Ray anywhere. First of all, it's not an arm issue, right? It's in the hip, which isn't great. Like you don't want your your hip to be hurt if you're a pitcher, but I I don't want to hear that it's his left arm and it's not. As much of a step back as he took last year, keep in mind how good he was the year before. Like that's in his wheelhouse. And we kind of expected that, right? Because his strand rate was out of control. His BABIP was out of control the year before. Like there were just outlier numbers and we we knew he was going to take a little bit of a step back. He's still a guy with ace level upside 
who will at a very least post elite number strikeouts and still pitches in a great park on a team that if you play in a league where wins count should get him a decent amount of wins. So even if he's on the long end of those four to six weeks, I'm not sure there's a pitcher out there in, in my leagues that I'm like, I need to get this guy on my team to, to get rid of Robbie Ray. I, I just don't think that player exists. Um, I, I've seen some exciting streams, but right now, unless you're in a league where somehow Graham Ashcraft is still available, I don't even know, even if you have an IL spot for Robbie Ray, I think you're going to have a heck of a time re- uh, replacing him. So there's no chance I'm, I'm cutting him. I'm going to do whatever I can, even in those leagues with no IL spots, to to make it through, piece together these four to six weeks, because usually those leagues with no IL spots, those are usually your NFBC leagues which are five by five, which count strikeouts, which Robbie Ray obviously excels in. So I'm going to do everything I can to keep him on my rosters. Yeah. I mean, I I think realistically that's, that's where I am too. I do think, I think in leagues where I can trade him, I'm shopping him. I'm, I'm just sort of curious to see what I could get for him. Cause I think if I found somebody who was like, yeah, I get I'm losing him for four to six weeks, but I think he's, you know, he'll pile up the strikeouts. He could bounce back from last year. Like, I think I'd be happy to move on. I This is this is also, though, I think coming from someone who like, I didn't really draft Robbie Ray anywhere this year. Yeah. Anywhere I've got him, if I, I don't I should even see, I don't even know if I actually have him anywhere. So yeah, I, I have Robbie Ray in exactly one league. It is a dynasty league that I do on fan tracks with some of the pitchless community. I've referenced that league in here at least once or twice before, but I, I did in fact trade for Ray this year in that league pitching held me up last year. I, I think I finished second or third. I finished like, I think I finished second twice in a row in that league and I just needed an arm and he was available. And I, I don't even remember what the price was on the trade, but it was fine. Um, And so, but like, I don't have a lot of Robbie Ray. So what I'm saying, like, Eh, I'm happy to move on. That's coming from someone who was lower than the market on him already. And so you had this injury in plus the poor performance. It's just like, uh, I don't know. So I, I think what I would say is, yes, I was being a little overly dramatic in claiming I would cut him. That's a little, little over the top, but I would be shopping him. And if you could, if you could move on from him, I think I would be, I'd be happy to do that. I'm, I'm always, almost always happy to move on from an injured pitcher. So sure. yeah. But no, you don't have to cut him. That would be a little, a little, a little crazy. But we're going to take a, a quick break, and then we come back. Pete, I've got some breaking news for you. Oh boy, eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. 
Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. I promised Pete some breaking news, and here it is. You saw the, uh, I assume you saw the Anthony Rendon video in Oakland. Yes. Yeah, yeah, He was hit with a five-game suspension. Wow. And here is my... Here's my statement. We're going we're gonna to fit it right into the episode right here. He was just hit with a five-game suspension. Here's my statement. He grabbed a fan. A five-game suspension is ridiculously light. I, I agree with that statement. I, yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I, I understand, and I can't relate, but I understand it must be brutal for athletes to hear what they hear. Who knows if that was the guy that actually said it or not. The guy said he didn't say it. I, Who knows I if anybody said anything, that right? Like, we, we have no idea. Right. Oh. Just as a fan should be uh, banned from the stadium for life and and face charges if they put their hands on a player, players also should not be doing the same. Uh, and, I, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I was also a little surprised that it was only five games when you said it. And I, there was a scathing article. I don't know if you saw it. I can't remember who wrote it in Los Angeles, basically just like destroying Anthony Rendon, calling him useless after this contract. And now he goes and does this. And it was, it was absolutely scathing. And I, I haven't seen a guy's character just like completely disintegrate over the course of like 48 hours here. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'd be interested to see how angel stadium reacts when he returns to a guy who has done nothing and has signed this massive contract and is now putting his hands on fans. I, I think there could be a trade brewing there where they eat most of his contracts, even, even if they're contending. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to know sort of how he fits in, in the locker room. I think right now, if I had to guess any trade decision that goes on in that team, the only thought process into it is how does this affect our chances of re-signing Otani? That's it, right? That's sure. sh- and, and, and as it should be. So, like, if he if the locker room likes him and Otani is like, yeah, this guy feels like he's you know he'll put it together and be a huge part of this team. He's not getting traded. Yeah, I, th- this was bad, and I I think I will say like since there are probably very few players listening to us, um, if there are any players listening to us, don't grab fans. I think it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. But there are lots of fans listening to us. I will say on for fans, like, just don't say stuff like that to players. Like, right. I get and, and I, I I get the like, I paid for the ticket. I can do what I want, blah, blah, blah. They're professionals. Like, but you can't. And just, and just don't. Like, even if you can, it doesn't even matter if you can. Just like be a decent person. And like, right. You know, I you think about like if I if I try to put myself in Rendon's shoes for a moment, right? He has he's this like huge prospect 
He has struggled. He's had injury issues. He's been up and down. He finally puts it together. He gets this contract and now everything's falling apart for him again. It's like, there's just no reason to be like, there's just no reason to attack someone like that. There's no reason to attack anyone. Just like be nice to people, be good to people. Like this isn't, it's not a complicated thing. And I, I, it, so I, I want to be very clear that like, when I think this is a ridiculously light suspension, this isn't a, the fan was in the right and he was in the wrong. Like if the fan said what, what he says, he said, they are both wrong. They both deserve bigger than a five game suspension. That's, that's just it. But like, yeah, you're, you're Rendon. Like you cannot do that. You can't. And I, I am, I'm a little surprised that it was just five games because I think it's like, you know, you start to look at like the scale of things and the way things are treated within the game based on how they're suspended. And like, how is this not the same as domestic violence? Right. He now maybe you could say he didn't follow through. They didn't actually physically attack the guy, but he grabbed him and seemingly took a swing at him. If you watch the video, right. Had he done that to his, had he done that to his wife or his girlfriend or to a, whatever, it'd be 30 games for sure. No questions asked. Like that's, that is the, the precedent the league has set. And I think that's good. And as it should be, I, I don't understand why doing that to a fan is going to be sort of brushed aside. So anyways, that's, uh, it's the wild world of sports. Yeah. That is, that is uh, for neither the, here nor there for what we're doing today. But like the news just broke. I felt like yeah. we should discuss it. So, I, and I, I don't want people to get the wrong message. I think the contract's unmovable, but yeah. this is, this could be the start of, of some serious issues in LA. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to opening weekend performances and a couple of outfielders who I talked about how many, you know, I talked about having, I only got Robbie Ray on one roster. I have one of these guys on three rosters and I really wish it were more. I have one of these guys on four rosters and I really wish it were more. And they've both been, uh, not good is, is the, the, the technical term for what they've been. The first guy is I'm going to pull up some stats here for both of them. The first guy will go in the order. They were picked in drafts. Juan Soto first. And, you know, sometimes late in draft season, he was maybe going as a second round pick as starting pitchers got pushed up, whatever, but like, you know, Juan Soto, one of the best bats in baseball, he had a 376 Wobo, which is a 145 WRC plus last year. And that was a down year by all accounts. It was like, Oh, he wasn't very good. And it's like, no, he's still awesome. Like he's just, the expectations are that high. Through four games this year, he has 16 plate appearances. He has do, 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 one single. He's walked twice. He has struck out three times. Like three strikeouts and 16 plate appearances doesn't sound like a lot, but like that's kind of a lot for Juan Soto. Uh, the two walks in 16 plate appearances isn't too bad. That's actually not very much for Juan Soto. Like he's striking out more than you'd like, and he is walking less than you'd like. And he has just one hit. However, so he has 11 batted ball events in those 16 plate appearances. Right? Makes sense, right? 16 plate appearances, three walks, or three strikeouts, two walks, 11 batted ball events. His hard hit rate, those 11 batted ball events, it's small, right? Small number. 
six of 11, 54.5%. He is hitting the ball really hard on a regular, like if he kept that up for the full season, which he probably won't, it would be a career high. His career high so far is a 52.4% in 2021. So how does he only have one hit? His launch angle is negative 6.9 on average. He is just smashing the ball as hard as he can at the dirt. As a result, he has no barrels despite all those hard hits. Like it's been, it's been ugly despite the hard contact. The other guy who another outfielder taken relatively early in drafts, not as early as Soto, but still relatively early through three games. Kyle Schwarber has 13 plate appearances. He has matched the single that Juan Soto has. They both have one single. He has five strikeouts and nary a walk. He does have an RBI. That's pretty good, I guess. But five strikeouts, I mean, it's a you know 38.5% strikeout rate. That's obviously like again, talking tiny, tiny samples here. The zero walks is a 0% walk rate in case anybody needed help with that math. It's all very ugly. Now, Schwarber, I think, you know, these... These are different players, right? And and Soto, we talked about, like, clearly one of the best hitters in baseball. Schwarber's a guy who, like, he's been great the last two years, but was, I think, sort of a disappointment before that in a way. Like, he was always a good hitter. And I, I think it's unfair to call him a disappointment, but there was this, like, he's going to be the, this great Cub hitter who's going to put them over the top and blah, blah, blah. And then he was hurt for a while. And, like, he's just been, he was good, but not great. And then he was great in 2021. And then he had the 46 home runs last year, 45 home runs. He had a million home runs last year. 46. I was right the first time. 46 home runs last year. And now he's off to this just atrocious start. Now, interestingly, he has eight batted ball events and a 50% hard hit rate. So he is also like Soto smashing the ball. His launch angle on average, because he also has zero barrels, is 36.9. It is more than 40 degrees higher than than Soto's. So while Soto is busy smashing the ball on the ground as hard as he can, Schwarber is just trying to see how high he can hit it, even if it doesn't get out of the infield. So uh, very different directions, but yeah, neither of them doing very well. Are you, I mean, like I said, one of these guys, Soto coming off what was a down year, technically speaking, even though he was still great. Schwarber coming off a great year. Are you concerned about either of these guys? Is there anything you're looking for with either of these guys that that you're like, oh, I'm not concerned yet, but maybe keep an eye on this. I'm I'm definitely not concerned yet. Um, it's it's obviously still way too small of a sample size. I don't think Juan Soto is going to maintain a sub 100 BABIP, for example. But you know, you brought up the ground ball rate, and it's just like I think it's a potentially a level of frustration with managers who despite his by his standards down 2022 season still went and took him ahead of names like Mookie Betts, like Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, because we all know the immense potential that Juan Soto has. And to just see him still not lifting the ball as much as we want him to, I I could see that being a little frustrating, especially since this was against really subpar pitching. He was not facing a particularly robust no. Colorado Rockies starting rotation. So I'm not concerned about Juan Soto. I'm not looking to do anything with Juan Soto. He is a plug play, forget about it player who is a mega stud and is probably going to have a tremendous season, but it's just one of those like, man, wouldn't it be nice if this dude lifted the ball 
Um, because frankly, to have no fly balls or line drives through an entire four game series, I mean, that, that does kind of stick out as, as odd, especially considering, like you said, I mean, maybe the strikeout rate looks high for, for where he's at with those three strikeouts. He's at 18 and a half strikeout rate. That is high for him. Uh, so he, he's putting the balls that he's putting in play matter maybe more if he's going to strike out that much in a single series and none of them were in the air. So, uh, no, we don't need to blow one series out of proportion. We're not going to do that with Schwarber either, but man, it would be nice if Juan Soto lifted the ball a little bit more in Schwarber's case. I'm still all in. It's weird. He didn't take a lock. He was facing much better pitching. He had to deal with DeGrom who obviously didn't have his best stuff, but I would argue actually got pretty unlucky in that start. Mm -hmm. And then he was facing Evaldi and then like Martin Perez, who's a lefty. So, you know, I, I understand it uh, from Schwarber's perspective, a little bit of a tough series. And the reality is if you drafted Kyle Schwarber, I hope you understand you drafted a player who is pretty streaky. Like he is good at getting on base, but any guy that strikes out that much and hits for that low of a batting average, regardless of, you know, the, the exit velocities and everything else, he's going to go through periods where he's slumping. So this is just kind of what you have to deal with when you have Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, it's uh I agree. I'm not I'm not concerned about it either. I mean, realistically, like it's been like three or four games. We gotta talk about something, but I'm not concerned about anybody, to be honest. Trade Juan Soto for Adam Duvall. I, the Red Sox need to send that offer to the Padres right now. Yeah. Uh they should totally try that. I'm sure it'll go over real well with San Diego's front yes. office. <laughs> Have you seen Duvall's numbers? <laughs> oh, yeah, just try you could try. And you know, on Yahoo yeah. that might work. <laughs> that's true well on yahoo duvall has second base eligibility so he's actually very valuable there <laughs> um so anyways i i think with 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 schwarber i think like in some ways the the weird crazy high launch angle is a positive like one of the big things if you look at his year last year his home run per fly ball rate was 24 percent over his career it's 24.6 percent and he has been like his rookie year in Chicago was 24.2. Then in 20, he missed most 2016, 2017, it was 24%. Then 24.5, 24.1, 25.6. Point being, he's hovered right around that. And that's where he was last year. He's obviously at 0% this year. What set his 46 home run year apart last year was his fly ball rate increased to 51.1%. Now it's 43.2% for his career. Going into last season, before he added that 51.1%, it was just 41.1%. It's like, there's a nice big jump in his fly ball rate there. That was actually, you know, it's bad for his batting average because it's bad for his bat pip. Like, it's not necessarily going to make him a better hitter as a major league player. But as a fantasy manager, where you are drafting him for his power and his ability to hit home runs and drive in runs... If he can keep walking and getting on base so he can score runs and he can hit more fly balls, you'll take that because it'll get you those home runs. And so from that perspective, it's actually nice to see the high launch angle from Schwarber because it, it suggests that he's not going to fall back into a 40% fly ball rate. He's going to keep that 50%, which should be good for his power production. From Soto, obviously it's you know the opposite, right? All, all those ground balls, like, are not what you're looking for from him. You'd like to see him elevate them all more. He right now, I mean, Soto right now has a 9.1% fly ball rate and a 90.9% ground ball rate. So that is in 11 batted balls, he's hit or 11 balls in play. He's got a fly ball and 10 grounders. 
Like that's not good. And and that is something that I think like, the fly ball is a pop up too, which is just a bummer. <laughs> was it? It probably didn't even have was. a chance. That would uh let's see, get down to his where is this? Stackcast had him at a zero fly ball, zero line drive and a you know nine point five or whatever. Yeah. His uh up. his infield fly ball rate is a hundred percent. That's that's share of fly balls that are infield fly balls. So yeah. So that's not great. I, I think the the question the the reality is with Soto, Soto and Schwarber, even if they are down, they're not cuts, right? the The question with either of them is, at what point do you feel like there's enough data that you should sell, even if it means you're selling a little low? And I'm not there yet with either of these guys, but with Soto, I will be watching that ground ball rate. It would be nice to see it come back down. With Schwarber, there's not a lot of there, there's nothing I see right now that I'm like, oh, that's the red flag. That's the thing I'm concerned about. I just think it's been, you know, he's this is who he is. He's elevating the ball too much right now. It'd be good if he had a little bit more on a line and, and got some more distance, but like it'll come. I'm not that I'm not that concerned about it. So that's where I am with those two. That takes us to another pitcher. We'll go back to the pitchers, and this is a guy who. I'm going to let you talk about him. So I'm just going to make my statement that I said I would make. Jeffrey Springs has already locked up the American League Cy Young. No, no, he hasn't already locked it up. But he is a he is a legitimate Cy Young contender. He'll be top three wow. end of season. That's my statement. Are you buying that or am I am I reacting too strongly to a single start, no matter how brilliant it was? Well, I mean, look, he was he was great last year. I mean, he really was. And then he looked even better in the spring, and he has now continued that into the regular season. Now, <laughs> the Detroit Tigers are abysmal. They are abysmal. And it's a fun place to pitch where and I'm pretty sure the Tigers were at home if I'm remembering that correctly. So, uh, you know, everything was kind of going in Springs' favor there. But at the same time he did it, right? I mean, he he's had the best outing so far this season, unless there's somebody that I'm forgetting. And there was a lot of helium on him. Uh, I mentioned this briefly in last week's episode where Jeffrey Springs was getting drafted, I think inside the top 125 in main events during that last weekend of drafting. So the, a lot of smart people were in on Jeffrey Springs. The thing is, like, to answer your statement, I'm just going to say no, because the dude's 30 years old and he still has not pitched into the seventh inning, not once. He has no outing of even six and a third innings pitched. And I just don't know if the Rays are going to let him do it. I mean, I don't know how many pitches he threw in this outing, but I'm willing to bet he didn't even eclipse 90. And so if he needs to be this efficient to, to get six innings pitched, then he's like last season, he's a red flag in even quality starts leagues, let alone a contender for a Cy Young. So if you roster him, you most likely roster him as your third or fourth starter. And that's going to be fun because I do think Jeffrey Springs is good, but top three in Cy Young, I, I don't, I need to see him go into the seventh inning just once for me to even come close to believing that could be the case. Yeah. Last year, I mean, keeping in mind that he, he started as a reliever. He didn't make his first start. He made his first start on April 28th, but it was only 2.2 innings. Then he made a start. Then he was back in the bullpen for three and a third a week later. Then he was back as a starter. So he didn't really sort of get ramped up until like late May. And then from 
let's see, from like April 20, May 27th, from the end of his last start in May through the end of the season, he made 21 starts. And in those 21 starts, he threw 108 innings, which is just over five innings per appearance. He got to six innings, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. So if you think he he can go a little bit deeper this year, right? He went he went six in this one, right? I mean, he, his first start so far six. If you think he can go a little bit deeper this year, he's going to get a full season as a starter. I, I think, you know, let's call it 32 starts. If he can get himself to five and a half innings per start on average over 32 starts, you're talking 176 innings. If he can do that with numbers like he put up last year, like if he puts up 176 innings of a, what was his ERA last year? It was like two something, right? 2.46. He'll be a Cy Young contender, which I, I think, and that is, I'm not asking him to do something totally crazy. I'm asking him to be a little bit deeper into games than he was last year once he got ramped up. And I think that's possible. Now, I think there's good reason to think he won't do that, right? The Rays don't let guys go deep anyways. He is, as you said, it's not like he's like a you know 22-year-old who just is like getting up to full speed. Like he's 30 and he hasn't regularly thrown six innings, let alone gone seven, as you said. He, he threw 135 and a third innings last year. That is, as far as I can tell, the most innings he's ever thrown at any level in his career. He threw 112.1 in 2017. 2016, he was lower than that. 2018, he was well lower than that. I mean, like, he's never been close to that except for last year. So I think you're right that, like, the biggest impediment to him being a legitimate Cy Young contender is, like, getting to 170 innings would be a big jump for him. It'd be something unlike anything he's ever done before. That said, he made 33 appearances and 25 starts last year, even though he didn't really become a starter for, for a month or so. I don't think it's totally crazy to think that he can make a full sort of 30 starts and get to close to five and a half, six innings per start. And that gets him up closer to that 170 innings. And yeah, regardless. I mean, Blake Snell did it with the same team, yeah. right? Like Snell was not going deep into those outings at all when he won the Cy Young. So, but Snell was like historically, you know, efficient and, and missing bats. And obviously Springs is off to that kind of start. I just, if they continue, and it was 81 pitches, by the way, I believe in that outing. So, and even in his starts last year where he went six innings, I, I'd be surprised if you found one. Fangrass doesn't have it in the game log section, so I don't know where to find it. But I'd be I'd be shocked if he threw 100 pitches in any single outing last year. So it, it, this is why I hate, hate, hate rostering Rays pitchers. I just hate it. And yet here I am with Rays pitchers on like all of my teams. I can't escape it. Yeah, I mean, the, the year that Snell won the Cy Young, which was 2018, he made 31 starts and threw 180.2 innings. And now he also had a 1.89 ERA, which is just absurd. But I, if I'm being honest, if 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 Springs makes 31 starts, I'd be surprised if he gets to 180 innings. The question is, is 170 enough? in this era. And I think it might be so. Yeah. That's sort of where I am. I, I think it's, it's plausible. It could happen, but I think you're right yeah. to be, I, I think the, the real takeaway here is like, if you can go trade for Jeffrey Springs, you should do it. He's, he's that good, but 
expect 150 innings, not 180. Yeah. So that's the guys we had on our list. Anyone that we should have talked about, you wish we talked about, you want us to talk about? Uh, I got nobody off the top of my head. I think it's exciting that Volpe has a steal and, you know, each of the games he's played in. So that that's nice to see that because, you know, there's questions about what the batting average is going to be at because of how many fly balls he hit in the minor leagues. But at least he's running the bases. He's definitely keeping himself fantasy relevant. I noticed my boy DJ LeMayhew, I believe, batted leadoff in two games already for the Yankees. Now he, he did not play the third, which I guess is a bigger concern. You know, playtime is going to be something to watch with him. But man, if he's if he's leading off and playing, you know, four or five times a week, I I'm in on DJ LeMahieu. That's not news, but uh, <laughs> he, I'm pretty excited about him. And uh, Chris Sale, just real quick, because I talked about him last week. Not to make this all Yankees and Red Sox East Coast bias here, but um, I am not concerned at all about that outing. If anything, and this is maybe way too much of rose colored glasses, I loved it. I loved it. Like. Yeah, his command or his command was terrible. He was not locating and he was getting hit hard, but he was on the mound pitching for the Red Sox. And he was throwing 95. Like he's he's here. He's going to be fine. And as a reminder, and what I talked about last week, I think it was 2019. His season started off the same way. I think it was 2019 when like his season started off absolutely terribly, but then like halfway through he was he was striking out 17 Rockies in one outing. So I I do not jump off the ship with Chris sale. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm not, I'm not out on him despite the, the, you know, rough go. I had a, some, I, I wrote up, we, we sort of introduced our in season auto new content over at, at fan graphs. We're going to have a, a weekly rotation of articles. And this week, the article I was on was the, our, our Monday, which is going to be a, a cold right now. So just posted today, but it's going to be a combination of guys who are being cut from a lot of rosters and guys who had, rough start. So for guys who are cut, why are they being cut? Should you cut them? Should you try to pick them up if someone else cut them? And for guys who are performing poorly recently, you know, what you what you, should you do about it? And I wrote up Jacob DeGrom. I didn't write up Sale. I could have. Um, but what I said about DeGrom, I think is is sort of applies to Sale. Like your concern should be the health. Like and there's a lot of positives even though the results weren't very good. I mean, for DeGrom, it was a 556 BABIP. He, like, his hard hit rate was fine. His, he didn't issue a walk. He struck out seven of 17 hitters. Like, there was plenty of positives there. And I, I don't think Sale was as, as effusively good as DeGrom, but like, similar sentiment for me. It's like, I'm just, I'm not that worried about the performance. It'll be there, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we are going to call it for this week. We'll be back with you next week. We'll have a whole other week of data, two weeks of data. That's a full sample size then. Now, now we're talking. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Final answers are coming. While we were recording, just in the last few minutes here, the Chicago Cubs got a three-run home run from Cody Bellinger. So we might Ooh. have to have a, a conversation about, you know, is Belly back? Maybe that'll come up next week. We'll have to see. <laughs> but thanks for listening. We'll talk well, clearly. to you next week. Clearly, clearly he is. Clearly he is. But, you know, by next week, we'll know for sure. So. With that, we'll talk to you in a few days.